0: This podcast, Strange, Rare, and Peculiar, is for kind of those in the know about homeopathy, deepening your knowledge, bringing you more information about what you need to know and maybe what you can leave aside about homeopathy. Homeo, what? Homeo, what?
1: Well, good evening, good afternoon, and good morning. Why do you say that every single time? Because it makes me feel like a BBC announcer. (laughs) Oh, that's what it is? From 1972. I love those BBC voices. Hello.
0: Hello, and welcome to the BBC.
1: This is the BBC International Service, the news, read by... (laughs) Is the guy in Washington?
0: Well, the... the, NPR guy? There's the woman who who does um, the BBC is somebody, Iqbal. Uh, I can't remember her name, but it's something. They're That's two my different.
1: That's first slope for the day.
0: Ah, oh, gross. Really? Just I, I have to say I have a disappointing beverage today, and it's my first non-water beverage. Uh-huh. It's rise, which I typically love, and it's in my new mug that I made that I really love. But I think I put too much in it or something. It's just not as good as it usually is. That's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Can I say that my day didn't start too well? Oh uh, Well, I woke up and I stretched.
0: Then you heard me yelling? No.
1: And then oh. I looked out the window. Oh. And then I started running down the stairs. Because
0: you saw the deer. I thought you heard me yelling at the deer. No. No,
1: no I was already running. And then, then I got to you and you were hollering. At the deer. At the deer.
0: So a deer jumped over our eight-foot fence that Al has put up around the property. He's got a six-foot... Um, saw, like fixed fence, and then a floppy two feet at the top. Yeah, and the problem is the deer can jump over it, but then they get tangled in it. And it's sort of this mix of get out of my garden and don't have an all day dahlia buffet, and feeling like it's super cruel when they fall because you said she it was a doe and every she... time
1: the the two times because you made it sound like there's been a lot of them, but in fact uh, it's only twice. We've only had two deer in this season. Knock on what? No. Nah. Um and yeah, both times we've tried well, to get out of a They don't like landing on their face. Mm 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 anyway.
0: I wonder how she got in. Anyway that's a story for another time. We need to work on that. Dug a tunnel. Came
1: through the, <laughs> came through the deer tunnel. Right. Of course in cahoots with the groundhogs.
0: So today we're gonna talk about
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: today we're gonna talk about um Sort of getting back to basics. What did we say when we were in the kitchen? 269
1: or 270.
0: Well, that's what I... My suggestion was that we talk a bit about aphorism. To, it's really 269, which is about the Hahnemann sort of coming to the idea that anything... when pre, it, it, it's, the, it's the aphorism that emphasizes that the preparation is where the action is. It's not the substance itself. And it's a departure from his initial sort of use of only medicinal substances in the beginning, mostly, you know, herbal substances from the herbal tradition, typically plants, or as you would say, plants.
1: Plants. <laughs>
0: Sometimes I feel really embarrassed about being from New Jersey. Really? Because you have this accent that, you know, um, to Americans it sounds so nice.
1: That's crazy town because... I mean- I mean, where I'm from, I mean, the accent that I had, because this is not a Kiwi accent. No, no,
0: no. I know you have, you've worked hard just like I have. Yeah. To not sound like I do when I... (laughs) When you're home. When I'm home. When I'm (laughs) home. Talking with my family. Uh, That's really interesting
1: to say that. Anyway, thank you. Mm. But it's not about accents. You're right. I think um, there's something to be said. You know, um, let's try and break it down a bit and fairly simply because... uh, In this field of homeopathy, you know, if if you just sort of think about, oh, I've got to go to work, I've got a problem to fix, I've Mm. got a a, a case to solve, then the emphasis is all about the indications of the remedy, the remedy, the remedy, the remedy. And then when it comes to giving the remedy, the remedy is actually being pharmaceutically prepared. Yeah. And pharmacy... Homeopathic pharmacy with standards according to good manufacturing well, practice it may or
0: may not have been because there are there is plenty of evidence that some of the remedies that people are getting may not actually be prepared in that way, and we won't get into the details on that but
1: why don't we get into the details of an aligned or closer um, part of that conversation, which is that the pulsatilla that's used in the U.S. is not the pulsatilla that's used in, the, in Europe. Right. Right? For some obscure reasons. But there are variations in, um, in the manufacturing process. So, but the, but the point that I think that you're making is that once a substance, let's say it's pulsatilla, and pulsatilla is you know, some homeopathic pharmacist or a pharmacist of homeopathy... Thank got, you. <laughs> no worries. That means a very small pharmacist. A tiny little one. Right, exactly. Um, a, a, a pharmacist of homeopathy is in the process of preparing that remedy. As soon as it hits a certain point, as soon as you've succussed and diluted that remedy at, at, a, at a point, that the relationship to the original substance is always there, but it becomes more about the amount of dilution and the amount of succussion that's taken place, right?
0: Yeah, but that's not... I, yes, I 100% agree with that, but yeah. that's not what I'm... That That's not what I was talking about. Okay. Now what do we do? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> do we go down that road? It's like a fork in the road because no, do we... Because I think what you're saying is really interesting.
1: Everything I say is interesting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> y'all Especially should be with here accent. yeah <laughs> y'all should be here you know sometimes I do think it sh- there should be a camera, but then I'm really grateful that there isn't but for a moment you just looked at my hair to see if that was the reason I was thinking it. I did
1: actually. Yeah, you
0: did, didn't yeah. you?
1: Because yeah, for me yeah you, you look you, we should just have a camera and you know the, the you know the bouffant <laughs> and the hairdo and the makeup and all of that stuff that would go into having a camera I could do without. But, I, but Which is look- good,
0: because you with a bouffant and makeup would really be distracting. Anyway, can we get back to the point? This is really a slow start today. Okay, go ahead. Ah, boy. I am thinking about... Well, so the bifurca- the bifurcation in topics could either go down to... Sort of pharmaceutical integrity, mm. which I, I don't, I I would prefer not to talk about today. Yeah, totally. Because I think what I'd like to talk about is more of the basics. That was a cul-de-sac, you know. A cul-de-sac. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So we went there and we just we we put in a flag that we'll talk
1: about that some we more. We went to the Christmas lights. We drove slowly and then we came out. And then a we cul-de-sac. came back. Good. Right. All right.
0: So what I'm thinking about is that. I've been trying to think about how complicated it must be to enter into the world of homeopathy in 2023, which is very different than entering into the world of homeopathy in 1980 or 1990 or even in the year 2000, mm-hmm. right? So the availability of information is one reason, right? There, Anybody can put out a podcast as evidenced by <laughs> the quality of material we're putting out here. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but seriously, that that there is... A lot of information available, okay. But there has also been a change in in the development of these systems, contemporary attempts to, in some ways, go deeper into the understanding of homeopathy, which I always appreciate. Mm. But in many ways, what happens is it ultimately becomes an oversimplification of something that cannot be overly simplified. There's an attempt at two dimensionality in a multifactorial process.
1: Hmm. Okay, right. Yeah, keep going.
0: And and that change and 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 there are so many different ways than that, can be, that that can be done. There's so many. You know, speaking of cul de sacs, right? You can enter into the world of homeopathy and step into any cul de sac and stay there for the rest of your life because there will be a tribe that is you know, putting out material and sort of creating, okay, I'll, I'll give an example, and and I'm not sure if I can, if this example will hold without a lot of preamble, so, but, okay, one of the things I'm thinking about is um, emphasis in contemporary times on the animal kingdom, mm-hmm. for example, right? Understanding remedies, the, from the remedies from the animal kingdom. That introduces a whole lot of complexity, because there are a lot of questions you have to ask when you're working with a higher-order species. Now, we can go back to Hahnemann's time and say, well, there is inclusion of animal materials, going back to Hahnemann and sepia, Mm -hmm. uh, herring and lachesis, right? Mm -hmm. So does that mean that every animal and every species solves, you know, in some way by analog, a problem in the human species, right? Now, one of the things that we have to do is we have to ask, there are a number of questions that we have to ask, one of them being a a challenging one that I don't think we should go into today, which is sort of a long-term, almost epigenetic question about, or it's more of an evolutionary question about what happens within a species over time, right? So we'll, we'll hold that aside, because I think that that because I just had a conversation with, with Todd Hoover, who we mentioned on the last podcast. I had a conversation with him about it the other day, about sort of what happens in the arc of time in the change in a species, to how much of a change does that make to a remedy?
1: Does the species change?
0: So the example that I was using is around um, lac caninum, so milk of a dog, right? Which goes back to uh, Samuel Swan, so a, a contemporary of of Herring and Lippy, actually sort of subsequent. He was a, a student in their later years. Um, and then also um, uh, lysinum, so rabies,
1: uh-huh.
0: nozode, right? So yeah. in other words, a remedy made from um, the the rabid dog saliva, which Herring introduced the idea around in 1830, so long before it became a part of the, the uh, medical conversation. Anyway, but if we just look at it from the standpoint of what's happened evolutionarily, um, look at just the rabies vaccine was not given back then um, to dogs, right? So now you've got generations of dogs who have been, and, and well, house animals that have been given the rabies vaccine on an annual basis right and some veterinarians suggest that maybe it doesn't need to be given annually to some breeds maybe it's once every 3 years 5 years or a one time shot right mm-hmm. but does I, i'm i'm putting that out there just as an idea mm-hmm. right once you once you start to make these kinds of changes right how much does that sort of morph over a, well from herring's introduction that's almost 200 years ago
1: and you're saying from the perspective of extracting that which is then turned into the remedy exactly
0: how much how much continuity is there in the substance does it matter enough right so but anyway but that so that's just that's one thing another thing though is you know is is always asking the why question about why in the early days were certain remedies being pulled into the materia medica because i mean for me Asking the question about why Hahnemann did anything is a clue to what homeopathy actually is Mm. so that we make sure that we stay, you know, kind of true to its purpose, right?
1: It's interesting because I would, I mean, in answer to that question, I I would have thought that it's, you know, what's close by, what's at hand, you know, what's local?
0: (laughs) Oh, I don't think so at all.
1: No, and and, and I'm not saying that's the right answer. I I was saying that would be the place that I go because he could – after the cinchona experiment, right, he could have gone okay. Well, let's do another proving of something, and looked out the window and grabbed some leadum. Well, that or I think, he, yeah.
0: So that I think that's what I think happened in the local, early days.
1: Local northern European herbs.
0: Well, and he would have done it based on what he would have seen in the materia medica, right? Because what he the way that he came to the cinchona aha moment mm. um, was uh-huh. recognition of the toxicological, you know, the, the toxicological symptomology matching you know, the the symptomology for which it would be used. In other words, cinchona for malaria, right? Mm-hmm. So um, my research suggests that, yeah, he just kept going through Materia Medica trying to see if he could replicate the principle of similars. So I think in those days, yeah, it would have been Northern European plants or plants, right? Accessible, but also based on what he saw in the Materia Medica. But that mm-hmm. changed right. over time.
1: So you're trying to keep this simple. Yeah. So for context, where we've landed right now in this wandering
0: I think I wander, left simplicity behind.
1: Well, no, it's it's important is that you, what you said is that in the in the development of homeopathy the plants came first with totally. two ex, with two exceptions. In the early day. For the first, let's say 40 years, mm. you know, before the second Animal remedy. Well, that's forty years gone by,
0: right? But, right. but as early as eighteen sixteen, right? So Hahnemann was, you know, with his exploration into chronic diseases, mm-hmm. was already rethinking,
1: right, okay. the whole
0: premise. So mineral remedies came into play,
1: and so in the in the in the evolution and the historical development of homeopathy, then. Those early plant experiments are all in *Materia Medica Pura*, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and the provings.
0: *Fragmenta*, and then *Materia Medica Pura*. Yeah.
1: Right, and then and then Heidelman gets his job at the university, and then he's into his sixties by that point. And then he then he starts really going deep into his the beginning of his the beginning of the exploration of his. Uh, chronic disease theory. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh. So that starts as early as 1816, yeah. and and that in that, um, it's it's a shift in philosophy. It's a deepening of philosophy, and it's a change in materia medica.
1: So can I tell you, stop you right there because I've been doing this every day since 1989. Let's say. Mm-hmm. And until recently, until you said that to me about the 8,000th time, I would have just said to you that the materia medica is random.
0: It's totally not random.
1: Right. And this.
0: 100% not random.
1: Yeah, totally. Now, I wonder what would have happened in my own mind or practice had I grasped that very, very important and basic point in my schooling, in my early years, mm. you know? And I think, you know, some of the prescriptions of aconite or, you know, ballus perennis or bryonia, or maybe not bryonia, but, um, but mm-hmm. some of the remedies that I now know that you say, no, too acute. Too acute. Yeah. yeah. Um, I might have avoided some of those prescriptions. Right. Now, I've had a bunch of cases such as a couple of good ruta. Grav mm-hmm. and Rustox results in chronic cases. Not necessary. not necessarily the only remedy that the client got, but, uh, here's... but really critical in, in getting them same. through. Same.
0: Okay, so same. So I, I'll give an example of a case of a, a gentleman I worked with for many years who had ankylosing spondylitis. A gentleman. A gentleman. Um, and he responded beautifully to Rustox.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, no, but here's the thing. The question you have to ask is, are you actually treating the chronic disease right. in the way that Hahnemann would say you're getting to the root of the problem to actually extract the root of the chronic disease for capital C Cure? Mm-hmm. See, I think that's where the difference lies. I don't think that this gentleman was, that it was available for capital C Cure, but we palliated for many, many years um, and he did beautifully.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. We managed, but what we did was we managed his symptoms. Mm. which is fine. Yeah. But see, I think that there's. this is where the terminology comes in. This is where I say, sometimes I'll say to the students, and I think, some, oh, gosh, I'm terrible because I, I make this sound. I say, ah, 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 ah <laughs> which is so awful. But it's, it's a way to just stop. Let's think about how we're saying this, because I think the fine point of how we understand our terminology changes things. So going back to what you said about, how you've had some cases of ruta or rustox in chronic cases? Yeah, so have I. But it's how Hahnemann was trying to break down the difference between acute and chronic disease to show us that not all remedies are created equally, and they don't—they can't all solve the deeper problems. This is why, in the introduction to chronic diseases, I think it's. Who wrote the intro to chronic diseases that, uh, oh, I can't think of who it was, but it says from which Hahnemann determined that a completely new set of medicaments was necessary.
1: Do you know um, that the, uh, really interesting historical record of how he discovered um, the chronic diseases, guys?
0: I don't know. What I Go on. Set them.
1: Not many people know about this, but Hahnemann was in the bath.
0: Oh. oh, gosh! Here we go. No, he
1: was. Yeah, it was. Of he was. 1816. He was in think, the bath
0: with a shower cap. Uh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and he had a bath maybe once a week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say at the time. Sure. And he's reflecting as he did on the bath. Often the bath water got cold, uh-huh. and so you know he you know no taps and stuff like mm-hmm. that at sure. that point. So someone would come and his daughter, one of his daughters of them, would come uh, at that stage. No, Henrietta. Oh, you're he going all the way back over. to okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's reflecting on the problem. Mm-hmm. We all know what the problem was at that stage, because after forty years, uh, sorry, after uh, twenty five years of of homeopathy and the postulation about the law of similars and all the rest of it, you know, he was he, his results were good but not spectacular. Right, and they were good from one point of view because clients got better and then they went away and yeah. and they didn't always pay him the way he wanted. That was a different story though. Yeah. Sometimes you got too many bags of potatoes and lottery tickets as payment.
0: I once got a chicken. Did you? Mm-hmm. And not, roasted, not <laughs> like a... Yeah, it was a roasted chicken delivered to me. And another time... From Costco? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and someone made me a cake once. Really? And delivered me a cake.
1: So um, just to... Because uh, this is really, really important because you're going super deep here. And the look on your face when you were talking about the person that wrote the introduction to chronic diseases... Yeah. ...meant... I had a thought, and it was, my God, you think about this all the time.
0: Of course I do. <laughs> right.
1: Anyway, so um, back to the bath. So, Harman, <laughs> in this text that I read that's not very well known, is...
0: Are you making this up? No, of course not.
1: Um, but it's a screenplay for a really good movie. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm the director. Um, and God. Anthony Hopkins is...
0: Okay, keep going. Is keep the
1: later Harnemann. Okay. Probably Matt Damon, I'd say, right now. He's Matt Damon is mid midlife. Uh-huh. Um, hon. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so Matt Damon's in the bath. And is that the one you met? I, I was just
0: thinking about that. I can't remember. Somebody, one of my old friends will Dylan, have to remember. Matt it was Dylan. Matt Dillon. Yeah. Matt Dillon. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Anywho. Um, that's in a bathroom
0: st- at Danset in 1984, <laughs> but that's Okay. <laughs>
1: We always wind up in the disco. Yeah, back to the disco. Anyway, so Hartman's in the bath and he's reflecting and really coming to the conclusion that he's got it, but he hasn't got it fully because his clients are returning and those symptoms are relapsing ultimately. Mm -hmm. And he could have been quite happy to, you know, collect the cash and buy a boat and then a second house at the shore and, you know, collect All all the things, sure. But he says, he does the opposite, and I think it's that moment where he kind of stands up from the bath and comes downstairs and says, Henrietta, my love. Uh,
0: Henrietta being his first wife. First wife. Also known as Johanna. Johanna. Johanna.
1: Johanna. And he says, uh, I've got some more work to do. Yeah. And then, you know, over the next, he was very clean for the next decade. He spent <laughs> a lot, of time, a lot of time in the bath. A lot of time in the bath, Yeah. yeah. And then um, ultimately has that Eureka moment yeah. like Archimedes where he leaps out of the bath and says, by George, you wouldn't have said that, but by George, I've got it. Mm-hmm. What and do you think about my screenplay? I, th-
0: I love it. I love it. I'm thinking about how in Harry Potter 4 when Harry is in the um, in the prefect's bathroom, you I know, yeah. and Moaning Myrtle comes in and he goes under in- with the egg and he hears the siren song of uh-huh. the whatever. Um so, so to put that into plain English, so what I was talking about is well, then that, we get that that's, that's, that's a when bridge we get, to the minerals.: Right, to right. chronic diseases. And yeah. so you're welcome. <laughs> so what so So basically, Hanuman starts out. You really tough with yourself today, aren't you? Oh. Yeah. So Hahnemann starts out. Looking, the, way
1: the All Blacks played over South Africa that's really at the heart of it. That's it,
0: that it's a whole new you. Yeah. that's um, why you went out nude to chase the deer today, ah, feeling well. like Tarzan.
1: Well, if you to, as a cul de sac, if you'd seen the way that the All Black pack,
0: All Blacks being the New Zealand
1: rugby team, especially Shannon Frizzell, monstered those ginormous South African.
0: Except there is the one guy on the South African team that you said is my height. The, the guy with the long... Feth. Yeah.
1: yeah. He's, he
0: like has surfer hair. He's the halfback. Yeah.
1: Anyway, that's, that's irrelevant. Okay. Anyway, well, I'm feeling good about myself. So yeah. That's, all, that's, all, that's it.
0: That's good. I like that. Um. So basically, Hahnemann starts I out...
1: I my masculinity to the old wax. <laughs> <racks. laughs> As you can tell by the state of the repairs around the house. And the fact that I got a truck with rust in it and I don't know what to do. Oh,
0: my goodness. Anyway... And that one of my bookcases collapsed, the bookshelf collapsed.
1: That actually was my fault. Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, So Hahnemann starts out and he has this moment of discovery that comes from, you know, uh, translating Cullen's Materia Medica.
1: 1790.
0: Yep. And he starts in with looking at the plant world. He's looking at medicinal plants for which there is already a great deal of traditional knowledge. And he tests his theory of similars.
1: Correct.
0: He then from there goes into the recognition that similarity does not negate the issues around toxicity. So in other words, just because something is a similar and will be curative does not render it non-toxic along the way.
1: And so, we know that because of all of his casebooks, he was very meticulous yep. in his prescriptions in all of those early years of homeopathy, uh, Berberis 1X yep. or Mother Tincture or, right. you know, two And,
0: and at that time, symptoms. he was also... Sort of testing the toxicological implications of different substances. So he recognized that some things were going to be poisonous. Anyway, with this recognition, he comes up with, he comes to one of his first challenges, which is how to utilize these toxic substances to render them, you know, safe for use. Um,
1: Bad if you start poisoning your clients.
0: Right. Killing the clients is really bad for business. Mm -hmm. And so that is starting to happen, which is how aphorism 270 makes its way into the organon, which is around the preparation of substances. Now, if we fast forward, once he gets into potentization and when he later calls it dynamization, which is the point at which he he discusses a much more complex idea, which is this idea of releasing spirit from matter. By the time we get to that idea... So many changes have taken place, including his understanding within chronic diseases. Yeah. So he kind of comes to his first juncture. uh, I've got an acute chronic issue. He's got another juncture, which is how do I render my medicines non-toxic? That's when the minimum dose idea comes in. And then he gets to the very specifics of his preparation, which evolved over time. His, His knowledge evolved over time. And, and so once you get to the, you know, sort of the end game in Paris, homeopathy is a much more sort of nuanced and, and robust medical modality than it was with the publication of the first organon in 1810.
1: So just on that, if you're saying that homeopathy evolved and was much more nuanced, and the cause of that was? Hahnemann's
0: discoveries over time. I mean,
1: you don't think it was just straight up policy decisions?
0: No, absolutely not. Oh, really? Absolutely not. No. No, because, and this is where the, the, the alchemy part comes in, right? This is where the understanding of why Hahnemann did what he did or where did he obtain the information to influence him to make the change. So, for example, in the fifth edition of the Organon, right, that's when he goes from give, a, give the remedy as a dry dose on a pellet to give the remedy in water. Water as the universal carrier—the importance of water mm-hmm. in right in the delivery of the medicine—and that comes along with his recognition of the necessity of the repetition of the dose in the unraveling of the chronic disease. Right. Mm-hmm. So, wh- why did he come up with that? Well, I mean, it, because he encountered. I. It, it. It sure appears to me that that's when he encountered. Information from a particular alchemist, right? So that would be the von Helmont years.
1: And that ain't Paracelsus. That ain't
0: Paracelsus, nope. And and so why this is important is because I think that homeopathy is is actually a bit different than than we f- have thought that it is. Huh. That doesn't mean that we practice it necessarily differently but but it means that as we take it forward right and and develop systems that are extraneous to the core philosophy mm. they need to be connected to the core philosophy or we are going far away from what Hanuman actually figured out which I'm beyond convinced is you know the the elixir of life the universal Medicine that has the capacity to put life back into an organism I mean that's what that's what he explains to us in chronic diseases
1: so it's interesting um, that you have landed us uh, through the historical journey of plants first then the exploration of chronic disease then the exploration and provings of the minerals mm-hmm. right yeah and so and I totally get how you, there's, therefore, because I think there's a piece missing, which you need to, well, maybe you need to um, just clarify. And that is that with some more modern systems and the exploration of all of the corners of the plant kingdom, mm-hmm. you're kind of saying, well, do we need to do that? Right. Is it actually, and especially if we're going to be giving plant remedies in a chronic case based on something other than similars, hang on just a minute, that's mm-hmm. now... That's a few miles away from where
0: exactly. Hahnemann took us. Exactly. Right. I'm not saying that the plant remedies aren't important. I mean, gosh. And some of them... And Oh, okay. Another little piece of this is there are plant remedies included in chronic diseases, but for the most part, those plants...
1: Yeah.
0: So for people unfamiliar with chronic diseases, this is when Hahnemann sort of rethinks his four... The basic four principles in homeopathy. So... And I, and I know... You sometimes look at it as six, I think, right? But I look at the, the core principles as being, you know, one remedy at a time, mm. based on the largest totality that can be perceived, given in the minimum dose needed, according to the law, wait, according to the law of similars. Yeah. Yeah. So... So with that being said, he comes to chronic diseases and he says, oh, hang on a second, that four principled idea, all of those things are true, except that there are threads of these core diseases that run through humanity, going back to the deepest of all diseases, which is Sora. Yeah. And then he says, okay, and then there are these two acquired diseases diseases which are venereal in nature, syphilis and psychosis. And then, so when you look at the remedies in chronic diseases, you see that the plant remedies that are included are plant remedies that had been used historically for venereal, venereal diseases, disease. like guacam, for example, right? right? So, Sticta. Uh, is that, that's not in chronic diseases, is it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But he, so, so the idea though is that Hahnemann is really grappling with a problem. And that problem is not about how do we prove as many remedies as possible. The problem that he was grappling with was around how do we solve this puzzle of of putting life back into an organism? And it and it's and it's as anything that is as unbelievable as putting life back into an organism, it's it's really it's very nuanced, it's very subtle, it's very complex, but it's and it's nonlinear. Right? Mm-hmm. So so what what I would argue is that Hahnemann did not at any point talk about the simillimum, meaning the one remedy solution, which a lot of the contemporary systems are based on. Yeah. But rather, and he says in Aphorism in 171, for example, how we unravel a case based on its sort of expression of its symptoms over time and you match those symptoms and that's how you move a case forward. So if we go back to your example and my example of giving, you know, a remedy like Rustox in a chronic case, it, we certainly give more acute remedies during the unraveling of a chronic case. But but that that chronicity, that those anti-miasmatic remedies are going to be really important.
1: So, So here's my thought, because, you know, I run a research office and you contribute to it. Um, why don't we test that? Why don't we ask questions and then go about a way of answering some of those questions?
0: I would love to.
1: So, for example, I mean, I think the way that we'd probably need to do it is imagine... Because I think there'd be resistance in the homeopathic, broader homeopathic community to some of the things you're saying.
0: Homeopathy community. What did I say? Homeopathic community. I'm on a one woman quest to correct the, the grammar. The
1: community of homeopathy. <laughs> no, that's fine. Homeopathy is fine. No, because I'm with you. Okay. Totally fine. Um, the very small community of <laughs> homeopathy.
0: We're not small, we're mighty.
1: I know. But, um, so, so here's the question If you were my supervisor, uh, Amy Steele, um, PhD posited, supervisor, in, yeah. yeah. Asked me this question, or she, she said a statement I thought to you was interesting. And I think she's pretty much proved it. She did it in the context because she's a naturopath. Mm. And she said, most naturopaths, if they are faced with a clear, well-designed, excellent scientific paper, that concludes that um, what what naturopaths have been traditionally taught about an aspect of naturopathy... If they're shown conclusively that that is not the case, what do they do? And then the answer is quite clearly they ignore it and keep doing what they've told because they value traditional knowledge Mm -hmm. more than scientific knowledge if it's contrary to some of the beliefs and traditional evidence that they've been working with. And so I'm going to ask you that question. Yeah. And so if if I could design you an excellent paper that showed that, uh, not not the guacamole example, but say, um, a a plant remedy was successful in this instance, and it's a case that was well taken, well managed, went over a period of time, and the chronic condition. Is resolved, but
0: I, I don't want to. I don't want to oversimplify this to say plant remedy. Right. I, I just want to be clear about that because that it's it's kind of reductive, right? I'm just well, saying it's a
1: reductive question that I'm asking. Yeah, sure.
0: and I and I get where you're going, but I think I would I would want to I want to ask it a different way. Yeah. Um, but I want to hold off on that. What for about just, a
1: prospective study? Yeah, that starts with we will prescribe according to similars. And our, and our hypothesis is that the remedies at the beginning of chronic treatment, the animal remedies, the interesting plant remedies that we prescribe along the way, always end up with uh, broad polycrest mineral remedies at the end Down of the Down the
0: treatment. road. I mean, that's, that's what definitely... About a prospective study? I mean, that could be it, interesting.
1: That actually, you could do that...
0: But there's no end to treatment, because it's it sort of... I mean, well, I guess what you could say is when a person hits their stride in a level of health, is the remedy that becomes what what we would know as the constitutional remedy as opposed to a chronic intervention, mm-hmm. does that tend to be more typically always. from the mineral kingdom?
1: Always. Yeah. And there's a handful of remedies. Right. I mean, when right. I say always, what I'm saying, it's not a scientific statement. It's a, right. uh, I've done this a long time and therefore it's kind of my opinion yeah, you know and so but that's my experience you yeah. know the, at the beginning of treatment when you've got a person sits down in front of you and tells you their they crazy symptoms the prescriptions tend to be towards the plants and the animals uh-huh. in it for me and as things no no and, and don't look at me like that
0: <laughs> I, I just, but as
1: i as I'm i work like... with clients the the landing place is almost always those Mm. Polycrystalline Again, I think reductive. But well, no, are... no, that's an observation.
0: Yeah. But but I wouldn't
1: it's an empirical observation. I'll have you know.
0: So so one of the reasons that that we where we started here was was really trying to help beginners, which yeah. Sorry. Next one. Next one, <laughs> for sure, for sure. But but there's this way in which if you you know you land in this pool of Homeopathy. And there are 10 million different ways to learn homeopathy. I mean, you know, you and I interview any potential incoming student for AAG, right? Mm-hmm. So by the time somebody is going to enroll in the Academy of Homeopathy Education, they'll meet with Amy. You know, they've done their research. They've made, they'll meet with Amy Baglivio, who's, you know, this amazing practitioner who also um, is, you know, the first person that people meet with here. And then they come to meet with us. And oftentimes they will say, do you teach all the kinds of homeopathy? Mm-hmm. Or they use the word classical in a dirty sense. Are you just a classical school? Mm-hmm. Or they'll say, do you teach? It used to be they would, people used to say, do you teach Sankara? Now there are like all kinds of, do you teach this, that, or the other? And half the time I don't even fully understand what they're getting at. But, but that is, it's got to be confusing, right i um i spoke to someone who is um s- someone who knows my sister who yeah i talked to this person last night who's thinking about getting a you know getting a homeopath to help her and oh. she said i've been listening to podcasts and here's how i think i'd like my care managed
1: oh my god
0: yeah 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 she's wow. uh, she's super smart like really interesting but you know she says i think i want a combination of conventional medicine, and then I want to use the homeopathy to do this, that, and the other. And I was like, wow, like so specific. Um, but it's confusing, right? And and it's confusing in that, and this goes back to your, your sort of research question that Amy Steele might have posed around naturopathy and traditional evidence, where I think that the evolution of homeopathy, it's like, well, it depends how someone has been taught. So the question to me is like there's there's evidence of what Hahnemann did over time. It's just that I think we haven't asked the questions clearly enough of the information and we because it's complicated and it's it's both historical and applied, yeah? And it, I think it takes some time to actually unpack that and get there. And then there's the way in which we're taught, which is, you know, how do you do homeopathy? And I think that the teaching of homeopathy has really focused on the materia medica, you know, it's so much about the remedies and not the philosophy and not just the philosophy, but the application over time. I hope I said that. Okay. I, I feel like maybe, did I go in a circle? Don't think so. Okay. So, so the question would be, if somebody is resistant to change, is it because of the the love for the teacher that showed them the way?
1: Oh, most of the time. Right. or... Uh... Love or stuckness. yeah. Mm.
0: Um, and, and 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 I think we can get success, even you know decent success using homeopathic remedies peripheral to their intended use, mm-hmm. right? So so then it becomes well. Then why should I? Why should I rethink this? Or why should I adhere to sort of the the ways that Hahnemann put it to paper? You know, and I would argue because what he did was so much more amazing than we have been able to understand. Hmm. I think I think Hahnemann's accomplishment goes so far beyond what we think. And and we often approach it by saying, okay, well, it's old. Like, diseases are different now. People are different now. We know more now. Hmm. Right? What do you think about that?
1: I, I like it. I mean, I, no, I love it, actually. And... Why I love it, and I'm sort of staring out the window and looking at the what are you wind liking? blowing in the trees. Yeah, is because our funny little corner of healthcare has not gone in a straight line. No, not at all. And it's done, and that's and that's difficult for students to grasp. Oh my gosh! Because they look at what's happening today, and it doesn't make sense. Given, and I think that's it. So, Hahnemann's legacy has to an extent been um, perhaps diminished somewhat or perhaps historically he's been... um, Oh, he was an interesting beginning. Yeah. Um, Because what happened after uh, with the adventures with James Tyler Kent and all...
0: And the emphasis on esoteric... esoteric
1: ...took homeopathy in a very, very different direction. And so what you're saying is... That that historical loop that has gone on has neglected actually the, um, the the true emphasis or the true genius of Parliament's work. A hundred
0: percent. yep, yeah, and and I think. I wonder how we. Uh,
1: I wonder if we, can we draw that. I think that would be interesting yeah, you know, to put it on a, in a oh my spreadsheet gosh Do or something. You,
0: well, you know what? Actually, <laughs> on my whiteboard, that's what I've been trying. Yeah, right. That's what I've been trying to work on. And I think actually, you know, it's tough. Um, I'm just going to have a sort of a practical moment because, you know, right now I'm working on the case analysis compendium. Mm. And there's a part of me that's like, okay, yes, I need to just get this out. It's, you know, it's so far along. But there's also, this other thing, screaming, to really articulate, to really try to get the conversation going about homeopathy. I mean, I, th- I feel like that has, I've been able to do it in, in lectures. Mm. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, it's funny, because there's only so much of it we can do in our core curriculum. And I hear students asking questions where it's like, oh, if they haven't seen some of the lectures, you know, that have been done in other places, that's kind of Anyway, that was a little, another cul-de-sac. But I, w- I want to come back to this for a second, because where we started was, why is it so difficult for beginners to sort of figure out what to do in homeopathy? and?
1: Well, if a beginner, a person that's not really engaged deeply in homeopathy, can follow what we've just talked about? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that would be, I think, I mean, I'm barely following. So, but so- I haven't had enough coffee.
0: You haven't had any coffee. You Had a nice cup of tea. I did have a cup of tea. So, but here's the thing, because I want to go back to to where um, there is, because there is so much, because we've gone off on so many tangents away from the core tenets of homeopathy. There are people who are who are coming back, and one of the places that they land is is in sort of this stripped down version the of following benninghausen and right and so this would be put forward in the baron the baron what what are all of his names you do it so well well do he's it.
1: only got he's the only man i've ever met called maria maria yeah <laughs> that's that's a good one it's not mine unfortunately um the baron von no the baron no, I'm, Clement
0: um, there's a clements maria clements maria
1: clements maria von benninghausen isn't there one one. more name there's one more name
0: and we had um all of our computers were named after (laughs) homeopaths and like our ipad so when we were teaching live we would have like the ipad for classroom one was the benninghausen one another one was you know we had a paracelsus one and and one of my kids wound up with the Benninghausen iPad after it was no longer useful in service and it had this really long name. And he was like, can we get rid of this? Cause it would say it out loud yeah. anyway. Um, but you know, people are really trying to come back to the basics. And, you know, one of the challenges there is, I mean, I think, I think it's well-intended the following of Benninghausen. And I think all the questions that are being asked yeah. about sort of there's this attempt to solve some problems.
1: Isn't it interesting? Because that's the landing place. Not for everybody. No. But for so many people that have explored the, the you know, the, or got in the river of homeopathy and yep. gone downstream a little, and then kind of desperately paddled to the side and gone back to basics. That that conversation we had with um, Tim uh, Shannon, mm-hmm. you know, for example, as yep. as an example. and um, And why? Because it's, effective and two because it's replicable and and demonstrably so
0: yeah
1: i mean and yet um i suppose it's not an end yet it is because of that personally i feel that it's such a logical place to start because if you can pack down those foundations and repeat 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 mm-hmm. well that's how you learn how to make bread that's how you learn to do eggplant confit mm-hmm. that's how you learn how to do your smoothie and it becomes second nature right and then then like sankaran then on a bed of that which is his story then you can start getting excited about perhaps advanced concepts and advanced work
0: and so the the problem is that it only includes the basic 125 or 126 remedies and how many times do we have cases for which so, for example, and I talked about this recently, just you know, a new ish remedy like gallium, mm. um, which is not in that, you know, in in that offering. my gosh, how many cases? That remedy is just a miracle having been brought in. Um, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier of giving, you know, aconite, which of course is a very acute and short. Duration remedy. How many gallium cases did we get by by alternating or by giving you know aconite or arsenicum or other remedies? When in reality, this you know this remedy that is probably a
1: deep. But but I would argue that um, in the early years of homeopathy, I mean as a student of homeopathy, 125 remedies is plenty.
0: Yeah yeah. As you get into
1: Mm -hmm. clinic, and you've got a supervisor with a command of you right. know, um, some, some well-proved, more recent sure. remedies, I would be thinking that the deficiencies or that deficiency you mentioned, that disadvantage of the repertorial approach of Burninghausen, is overcome because you know about gallium. Right. Or you know about um, krypton or, or yeah. But, know, like, but the, whatever. But the,
0: the thing that I... That I I love the fact, though, that there are people who are saying, I want to go back to analytical basics of how to understand, how to approach a problem, as opposed to sort of these big, heady, you know, what I call the English major solutions to homeopathic problems, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, where people try to create so much more in a case. Um when in reality, just very, you know, applied foundational basics can actually solve those problems. Um, but I want to just go, since we were talking about sort of that Hahnemann marched along over time and made new discoveries, yeah? Aphorism 269, I mean, I, I feel like this this area around the making of remedies is, is so important. And I just, I want to just read one little part from 269, if that's okay. He says... For its own special purpose, the homeopathic medical art develops to a formerly unheard of degree the internal, spirit-like medicinal powers of crude substances. It does so by means of a procedure which belongs exclusively to it, and which was untried before my time, whereby those substances become altogether, more than ever, indeed immeasurably, penetratingly effective and helpful, and then italicized, even those substances which, in their crude state, do not manifest the least medicinal power in the human body.
1: Do you remember on the, our walks in Nova Scotia those fields of lycopodium?
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, I remember the ticks. Unbelievable.
1: The ticks were those biggest stealth A million stealth bodies, ticks, yeah. But. Um, that was the only time I've seen like a podium like it. Mm-hmm. And that's an inert substance as an example of just exactly what you're...
0: Right. I mean, it's so inert that it's used as a coating on pills. Yeah. Um, something fun, if people want to look at... Now, I have to remember where I have this book in um, along my studies in homeopathy. Um... Did you notice that just happened?
1: Did that just go that on? It
0: just went on. So I've got a, I have a beautiful can I, can ficus just, in yeah. my office, a beautiful ficus that I've had for 25 years or more. Uh, started out as a maybe a foot and a half tall plant that, oh my gosh, is just gigantic, and um, I, I've got and and continues to grow. And I've got these twinkly lights on it, and they just went on. On their own. Spontaneous? Spontaneously. Um, Anyway. Aphorism 269. With aphorism 269. But what I was about to say is along the way of trying to understand all the different kind of corners of of Hahnemann's knowledge, um, I've had to, you know, just ask weird questions. And so one day, I don't know, some years ago, I did a deep dive into lycopodium. Everything I could find out about that substance being, you know, one of our core antisorics and being a plant right good. And so um, I found that in uh, like in sacred geometry um, and in the sort of vibrational, there's this study of when you take substances and you put them on like a copper plate or something and then you you bang it with a certain resonance, different shapes form. Mm-hmm. Have I ever shown you this stuff? I'll, I'll find it after this, but um, that like a podium as a substance makes these incredible, sacred geometrical shapes.
1: Hmm.
0: How wild is that? It is wild. So when you said about substances being random in terms of how they have been added in, yeah. I would say no. I don't I don't Did know. Did lycomodium
1: that... come later? Or was it in the first tranche of proofings? Mm, I it's early, I think. Oh, um
0: we'll have to look that up. But but there's um it's interesting because later on when we get to the animal um The animal substances being added, you know, Herring was asking questions about, because remember, we're in the point now of the reductionistic um, biomedicine coming in, the questions were being asked about what makes up certain substances. And so you know, um, there was a postulation about animal blood and the constituents of different bloods and what they contain, Mm -hmm. and also the poisons and the venoms, what they contained. And so, you know, Herring goes on about the lachesis poison, and I think he was asking whether there was zinc in it or copper or something. Well, look, when he did, he and Lippy did a partial proving of, was this in Homerus, the lobster, or was in Uh, Limulus, 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 the crayfish. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, um, these... These crustaceans, their blood is very blue. And, and so he postulated that they would that, that, that would mean that there was copper in it. And then he went from there to say, would it then be a good digestive remedy because cuprum, as a remedy that was used in cholera. And so they did approving. and sure enough, they had success in using that remedy in digestive issues. And I've actually prescribed it a couple of times in uh, Crohn's and IBS, hmm. um, where Cuprum kind of didn't cover it and, you know, and had some good movement in a case, in a case or two.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's more, I think, I think it's more intentional, right? But, but the thing is, and I guess I think it's probably time to wrap up, is it not?
1: It it, well, mainly because I've got about eight percent battery left. Okay, good. So on. then
0: we should. So, so I think what I think we've come around to a couple of things. One is, you know, the homeopathy was not. It wasn't just random. Hahnemann didn't just, you know, excuse my crassness here, but crap out a system of medicine. It it, it evolved over time, and it was it was not just evolving to become bigger, but it was actually refining to become more sort of tighter. And and I think aphorism 269 really speaks to where Hahnemann was going in his understanding of the medicinal possibility of substances and from there goes on to the very specific and important um Ways of preparation that render a substance medicinal, and you know that that then we need to ask these questions about pharmaceutical preparations, right? And so this is where the integrity and where you get your remedies becomes really important because oh. you know Haneman made changes over time, like for example, trituration of soluble materials. You know is really important. In other words. Y- in the beginning, he's like, oh, if something is soluble, then just dissolve it in water, no problem. Chop it up. Ch- chop it up and put it in, you know, and steep it. And then he says, oh, actually, even soluble materials will benefit from the trituration process.
1: Three hours of grinding and scraping.
0: Seven times, right? Grind and scrape, or seven minutes each operation. Seven Sorry. and three. Or si- seven he- and three. It's yeah. really interesting.
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's another day, but he says six and four or seven and three.
0: Yeah. Sacred geometry and the numerics of
1: it. Well, uh, to me, it's like for someone so exact, it doesn't seem to be that exact. Uh,
0: I would. So what I would say is, well, then you need to trace the sources and when did he say each? You know, when did he come to each of them, and did he ever become definitive? Because look at
1: in no, 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 in two seventy in the I know, but
0: look what look what we see in chronic diseases in the final edition where he says, "I here with take back."
1: I what I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know,
0: in a previous edition, which had to do with the number of succussions.
1: Mm. I hereby take back what I wrote on this matter.
0: I can't get enough of this stuff. Now it makes. <laughs> she has
1: a big smile on her face. <laughs> folks.
0: It's so much fun.
1: All right, look, um, uh, we got to get out of here. Um, that's a, a nice journey today. Thank no, you.
0: It's not where we had set off to go. Which and is thank the you. The best
1: road trips always end up like
0: that. Not if you've already paid for your lodging. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess on that note. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there.
1: See you, folks. See you, everybody. Take
0: care. AHE is changing the face of homeopathy education by raising the bar through rigorous academics and unparalleled clinical training delivered live through the soulful use of cutting-edge technology AHE prepares its students to become fully-rounded homeopathic practitioners from anywhere in the world. Apply today at AHE.online.